Hebrews 13, 17. Will you open your Bibles and look at this phrase with me just for a few moments here as we dive into kind of a family chat about our current landscape? Look what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are, and here's the phrase, keeping watch over your souls. Wow. That's a massive responsibility, isn't it? It comes with some serious gravity and intensity. Yes, leaders are watching over your souls as those who will have to give an account. He goes on to say that the church should let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Amen to that, (laughs) right? And here's why, because if we're watching over your souls with a groaningness, then it's not an advantage to the church. Now, isn't that kind of a twist in how we normally would say it? We would normally say in our normal thinking, okay, we should watch over your souls with joy because that's to our advantage. I get to be a happy pastor, right? He doesn't say that. He says something quite counterintuitive. Let your pastors and your leaders watch over your souls with joy because if they're not doing this joyfully, that's not to your advantage. In other words, have you ever been around a grumpy, unjoyful pastor? (laughs) Church leaders, in other words, we'll say more about that phrase next week, but there's something about watching over the souls of sheep that shepherds find a great deal of joy in Especially when those sheep are, as the text here, obeying and submitting. It's a joyful process. So I share this verse with you because this really is the backdrop. It's the underpinning. We would say this is the fundamental reason that we're kind of having this talk today. Aaron alluded to it perfectly. We want to take some time today to talk about some of the things within First Family, but not because we think... uh, well, we've got to make sure that these, these uh, small symptoms are fixed. We want to actually take some time to talk about them because they actually may give us a window into our soul's condition. You say, Todd, why do you say that? Well, I, 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 I really am left with one question when I read this verse. I mean, I, we could talk about a number of things from this text, and we will this week and next week a little bit. But I, I'm just really left with one question when I read this. How do pastors do that? Is that okay to ask? Like he doesn't actually list them. He doesn't say, okay, watch over their souls, and then here's three ways to do it. He doesn't tell us that. It's not really explicit. So how do pastors, how do church leaders, elders, watch over the souls of the people? Interestingly, I think in the verse, you, you have to admit, just in the studying the words, that it must be connected some way to how they obey and submit. Do you see the phrase in your Bible? Look how they're connected. The writer tells the, the church people, the sheep, to obey the leaders, submit to them as they are for they are watching over your souls. In other words, so they're watching you, and they, there's this implication that they must get some idea of how your soul's doing by how well you submit and obey. So I think that's kind of what's going on here. It's one of the, what we call a divine metric. How do we know the condition of our soul? We can't read it like God. We don't know every ins and outs of it, but we can take some sense of like, okay, here's how your soul's doing, by how well we, you, as sheep, are listening and obeying. Now, now let's check that with this comment. 
It's not that you're listening and obeying to what we think. My opinion doesn't matter a hell of beans, all right? Iowa, Iowa State, Denver Broncos, Tennessee Volunteers, uh, you know, Mexican food, Italian food, American-made cars, foreign cars, who cares, right? Your opinion's worth more than mine. So, so we don't bring to you what we think and say, obey and submit to that. We actually are responsible to bring to you what God says. Then together with you, we come up under that and we say, okay, let's see how well we're obeying what God says. If you don't believe this, it's really in verse 7, this whole context of churches and followers and leaders. Look at verse 7. He says, you remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So our responsibility under the authority of Christ, the chief shepherd, is to bring to you God's word and say, here's what God asks us to submit to and obey. And as we examine all of our obedience to that, it does give us a window into our soul. So let's just be uh, blatantly plain about how pastors and church leaders watch over souls. One of the ways, at least in this text, is we see how well we're obeying God. Did you know that that happens within the leaders first? Just jot this reference down, would you? 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul instructed Timothy. He said, watch yourself and your doctrine closely. Wow. And you couple that with this verse, and there's not a day that I don't read this scripture that I don't have this overwhelming sense of gravity urgency, a weightiness comes over me. When you think about what does it mean to lead God's people? You're watching over their souls, yes, but you've got to watch yourself first. You see, it highlights for us that what leaders have to do is they have to model obedience before they can mandate obedience. So let me say to you something very plainly. What you're going to hear this morning, our elders have wrestled with already We've kind of thought through, how is this going to work, and how can we say this, and how can we follow it even ourselves wholeheartedly? Our leaders, our staff, our deacons, our elders, we're not here saying what you should do. We're saying, do as I do. In fact, if, if our leaders are not modeling what we're going to preach on today and next week, they shouldn't be leaders. That's how strongly I feel about it. Because we don't have the right to bring to you God's commands and say, Ken, submit and obey to this, but I'm an exception. That doesn't work. So what we're bringing to you is God's word that we're under its weight with you. We're seeing our church's landscape and we want to bring some things to your attention with this goal in mind. Let's all obey this together. That's just, this is kind of how pastors watch for souls. So that's the, really the main question I'm left with when I read this verse. What I want to do now is, is just engage with you in some application, okay? That's really what today is going to be. It's going to kind of be the way I preach normally, flipped on its end. I normally spend most of my time in the text, and I have to I make application, but I'm not real great at it sometimes, and I'm, I'm trying to work at it better. Today is the opposite. We've got the text down. We see what it says. It's not hard to understand. Here's kind of how we do it. Okay, let's talk about the how for a bit. And let's spend the rest of our time applying this. And this is what Aaron was referring to. I didn't know he had to fasten his seatbelt in first service, but I appreciate that. It's good to know. I didn't know I left him bloody, but uh, we'll let him and the Lord deal with that, okay? But I hope you hear the heart of all your leaders. We're underneath this with you. 
And we want to begin looking at some of the issues within our church that I think um, can be windows to see if we're really obeying. Now, maybe you're saying, Todd, what kind of issues, what kind of matters are you talking about? Well, they're matters related to what we feel it may be one of our longest, well, I would say the longest plateau we've ever been in. We've been around 14 years, not very long for a church. Um, we've kind of seen a consistent trajectory that was upward. Ebb and flow, but generally speaking, upward. Um, we've noticed in the last couple of three years that's kind of plateaued. I would say it's our longest plateau to date in some key areas. And so it's garnered our attention. We want to bring that to your attention as well today. I think somewhere maybe around early, excuse me, late 2015, early 2016, we'll begin to see some of this. Now, some have some different opinions. There could go look a little further back. Uh, you could look a little recent. There could be extenuating circumstances. But I think in general, we would say that over the last two or three years, there seems to have been a general plateauing. We've had some good upticks in certain moments. This is not to diminish what God has done or is doing in our body in certain areas. But as we look at some divine metrics, windows of obedience, we have to ask ourselves, have we become comfortable in our outreach? Have we become comfortable in our sacrificial giving? In our volunteerism? In our small groups? In other words, our growth in general, our points of obedience, have, have we really just become lackadaisical? And so they tasked me with bringing this to your attention. I gladly accepted that. What does our obedience in certain key areas that God asks us to obey in, what does that say about our souls? We're going to look at that for two weeks, okay? And you say, Todd, where are you going to start? Well, that's a good question. I've got several windows to look at, but I think I'll start with the one that I think Jesus used as a primary window into the souls of people that were following him. Here's what he said to them. He said, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, didn't he? Now this is where it may get a little uncomfortable. Let's just be really plainly frank. You can tell a lot about someone's soul by how they use their money. So we're just going to start there. This is specifically what the elders asked me to talk about was sacrificial giving. So I want to begin there, and it's just clear this is a window into our soul's condition. If at the end of not just this week, but next week, you're like, man, Todd, this has been really helpful. I think, man, the Lord's really ministering to my soul. I feel like my soul's doing pretty good. We rejoice with you. That's awesome. Our goal is not to heap on unnecessary guilt or any guilt for that matter. It's not to bring man-made conviction, but it is to simply lay ourselves before the Lord and say, God, what are you teaching us? How can... Lead us so our dependency is on him, all right? And we're going to start with this idea of, of finances, of money, the window of giving. Now, you're going to leave today, and you're going to get one of these journals. It's a seven-day journal that we want you to use this week. Uh, it's got several windows in it that our staff has written about, uh, some verses, places to write, a few questions. Um, use that this week once a day to kind of investigate your soul's condition. In the back of this journal, there is the position paper of our church on sacrificial giving. So I won't spend a lot of time walking through that, except to say that is the term that we use to describe New Testament generosity. Can you say it with me? Sacrificial giving. Let's try it again. Sacrificial giving. 
In fact, we draw that from, uh, and Alan, let's go to this verse if we can. We draw that from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. I'll just show you the verses briefly. Uh, we'll come back to these in a moment. But here's really the, the succinct pattern that we feel um, God calls for in the New Testament church. It's quite plain and practical. Look what he says here. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So in more than one location, here's kind of the pattern of New Testament churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so there's no collecting when I come. Paul's just simply asking for planned, disciplined, regular setting aside of finances so that there's not this mad financial dash at the end to try to cover some need. That's all he's asking for. Now, we explain that more in the journal, so when you get it today, be sure to read through that. My point in showing you this verse is we take from this verse that the concept of sacrificial giving is really uh, a good term to use in describing how the New Testament church should give its resources. Now, you'll ask, obviously, next, what is sacrificial? Does a dollar work? Does $10 work? Do I have to give my whole savings account? You may wonder, like, what is sacrificial? Because that's kind of open. That's a great question. Let me just address that by saying that the Lord has provided throughout history a level that has been a good guide for the Old Testament people. It was actually a law. It's called a tithe. It's 10%. That's actually what tithe means. So we would not, we would not say to you that is a law still. We would say that Christ fulfilled all of the law, but we would say that gives us some insight into maybe God's economy or way of working, and that if you want to begin to measure your generosity, let's use that line. How does 10% stack up? And is that a good measure of sacrificial sacrifice? We would say, yes, that's a good place to start. Again, we wouldn't say to you that's a law, and some would disagree with that, and we respect that, okay? But from where we are and what we study, we think that the New Testament is modeled after sacrificial giving as God prospers you and as you Holy Spirit leads in your heart. But we do feel like the line of 10% is a, just a good measuring guide, just kind of a barometer. How are you coming? And, and so just think about that as we talk about giving here for a little bit. Are you involved in sacrificial giving to and through the local church. Now, if you were to say, Todd, uh, I could never give 10% of either my gross or my take-home. Choose whichever you want. I could never give 10% of that. I'd be broke tomorrow. Then you would admit right there that that's pretty sacrificial, (laughs) I guess, isn't it? So whatever number you choose, wherever you land, the key is, Is it sacrificial? Because the heart of the church in giving is to model the heart of God in giving. And the Bible says that God loved the world and gave His only begotten Son. We read in opening verses that Christ gave everything He had in His riches to address our poverty, speaking there spiritually. And in His coming and giving of His very life and blood, He actually became poor for us so that we could become rich. Do you kind of get the connection there? So we're not saying, God, we want to give to you and it's strictly a number and so we're done and here you go. We're we're after the heart of God in our generosity. 
That's why sacrifice is such an important thing. So let me ask you, just before some guys join me to talk more about this, just on those few brief comments, just on those couple of scriptures, how do you think you're stacking up when it comes to sacrificial giving? As you ponder that, let me ask two guys to join me for a few moments. R.J. Parks and Brant Carr are going to join me. We're going to talk more about giving at First Family and some of the specifics about it, okay? R.J. runs operations here at First Family. He's overseeing finances. Um, so he handles that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Brant works on a team with R.J. and other, a few other men, and they kind of oversee it from a 30,000-foot level, a lot of guidance, and they're leaning in monthly to, to, for meetings and stuff about this. So these guys are just super to work with. The other guys are in the auditorium here. Uh, and they keep the elders in the loop as well on how things are going. Um, I want to just kind of chat with them and ask them some questions. They're going to share some testimonies as well. We're just going to kind of chat about the current specific landscape here in regards to finances and how we're doing in obeying 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. As they prepare, and by the way, are you still nervous this service? Yeah. Still nervous, okay. <laughs> uh, you did great, by the way. Both of you guys did fantastic first service. So, and you're going to love their transparency and their vulnerability. So I, I hope this, I'm sure it'll be helpful. But just some, some bare facts for you. Um, RJ is kind of giving me some of these numbers. That we have about 220 giving units at First Family. Um, he can explain more about that if he needs to. Um, it seems like in the last couple of years, maybe in this kind of plateau, that our giving per capita, in other words, giving per unit, has actually gone up, which says that perhaps the amount of giving units is either plateaued as well or gone down, which means we might be having a, a people come in, but maybe we're struggling in knowing how to connect them and grow them and point them towards obedience. It's just some things we're thinking about. Um, this year, the church approved a budget of about $1.25 million. Is that right? Yep. That's done annually through the church. It's the three period in which they approve the budget. And so that's to us the sign that we want to support that budget. However, this year we've only met the budget two weeks in a row. We only did that once. And I think as RJ was watching some of these trends, that's when he brought them to our attention. Like, hey, guys, we're not really meeting our budget on a regular basis. We've only met it twice in a row once. In fact, at the current rate, we're probably going to be $150,000 plus dollars shy of budgeted expenses. He can share more detail in a minute. I think currently, what are we, 85, 90,000 short currently? Currently, yep. So one person could just make that up today if they wanted to, right? Sure. That, okay, that's the yeah. numbers. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, Thanks, RJ. <laughs> um, however, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. That's not hard for me to get there. I'm by nature very optimistic all the time. I, uh, the, the, the time that we did meet our budget twice in a row, was in the last two weeks of August. And what is today's date? September 9th. So just about two weeks ago, we actually met it two weeks in a row. I find some hope in that. And I think God's working in our midst. Part of that is Him leading the elders to say, let's bring this to our people. Let's just walk through this together, getting it in front of you. We have nothing to hide. So we're going to share some numbers with you. And if you have more questions, man, come talk to us. We'll be here. RJ and Brent will be here, finance team members, elders. We've got, we're, we're an open book, Okay. And our goal here this morning is not to get into your wallet. We're not trying to squeeze you. We're not masters of the turnips, okay? Our goal is to say, hey, is this maybe a point in which God is showing us we're just not as obedient as we need to be? And can we push our people to obedience? Why? Because that's one of the ways we watch for your soul. All right? So, RJ, um, give us some more stats, maybe some more insight into our finances here. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'll just share some facts with you. Um, so when you look at uh, the city of Ankeny, 
Uh, the median income for Ankeny is $75,000 per household. Uh, if you would take that 10% number that Todd had mentioned just a few minutes ago and look at that as you're giving, uh, we would expect that households would give $7,500 a year to the church. So if we have 220 giving units, um, that could actually come out to a budget of around $1.65 million. Okay, so as Todd said, our, we set our budget at 1.25. All right, right now, we're projected out, if, if giving stays the same, we're going to be at $1,060,000 for the year. So if you average that out, it comes out to about $4,800 per giving unit. So our, you could say our median income for First Family Church Givers is 48000 now, when we look at that, you know, to go even deeper into that, when we, when we take all of the giving units and we see how much they've given per year, we have about 66% or two-thirds of our church that's going to give less than $3,000 this year. So we're very top-heavy in our giving units. So like Aaron had mentioned earlier, we have people, we have a lot of givers, uh, you know, we have few givers giving most of the budget, okay? So if you look at 66%, giving $3,000 or less, you would say, okay, so two-thirds of our church is actually, if they're giving that 10%, is living off of a $30,000 income a year, which would be about $1,000 below the poverty level that the federal government uh, stated. So, so those are just some hard facts for you guys. Yeah, that's good to know. Again, that may be some of the alarmingness, like, oh, I didn't know he was going to talk about that today. It's good for you to kind of see that and wrestle through that. Not everyone lives in Ankeny, though, right? Right, nope. So we want you to hear this well. We know there's folks from our metro area, west and east, north and south, but God has positioned our church in Ankeny. We don't begrudge that or think that's a negative at all, so we want to focus and say, hey, if we're going to reach Ankeny first, where God's placed us, let's just kind of talk about it. So don't hear this like, well, I'm not in Ankeny. That's not true for me. Don't hear it that way, please. Just know that God's put us here. And So that's kind of our initial frame of reference, okay? Um, so let's say that we... Um, Knowing that we're behind like that, what have we done? Like, what's quarter four look like? Talk about that right. a little bit. Right. So quarter four, um, we had a meeting about a month ago with our staff, and we decided that uh, with the way we're projecting out, we can't continue to spend the way we had planned on for the rest of the year. So we actually took and we cut nine percent of our overall budget. Um, some areas took a fairly big hit. You know, uh, ministry areas, mobilization, things like that. Um, but we trimmed about $105,000 out of our projected expenses for the rest of the year. Okay. We don't want to have to make more changes, but we have a policy set that we're not going to operate in the red. Is that the best way to say yep. that? Yep. Yeah. And our elders are aware of that. So we just sort of kind of prepping ourselves if things don't change. The next year's budget is going to be different. Brant, address that for us a little bit. What does next year's budget look like numerically if maybe things don't change? Yeah. So just as RJ was talking about our numbers, this is the time of year that we uh, begin kind of our yearly approval process. So um, just as we look at the plan we put in place for 2018 and what adjustments we need to make, we start looking ahead at what 2019 starts to uh, come out to be from a financial standpoint. So we have a lot of metrics that go into that. So uh, I, I tend to be the math guy. I like spreadsheets, there's graphs, there's formulas, there's all kinds of stuff that we look at at historical giving and the way that works to project out what 2019 will look to be. So as we just look at the last you know, five, six quarters, um, you look at all the math that happens and then you just kind of come and say, hey, does that make sense? Uh, we would be looking at staying status quo to kind of what the uh, foreseeable giving is. So you know, just as we do in our houses, uh, in our regular household incomes, uh, we need to align our expenses with our anticipated income. 
So for comparing 2018 to 2019, we'd be looking at reducing our overall budget to match what our anticipated income would be. Which is reflecting more along 2017 levels. Does that be fair to say? That's going to be pretty correct, yep. So we saw, would you say, a significant increase in the 2018 budget or maybe modest? How would you word that? Uh, we were, it was pretty significant. Yeah. So we would have to go back. Um, just keep that in mind. And that's, and that's why it's a joy to work with these guys, our elders, because we get some quality men just leaning into leadership at this church. And they're modeling, first of all, what we're asking. And then they're coming to you with information like, hey, here's where we are. So thanks for that. Help, help me balance something with our people. Because that's kind of raw data, and that's helpful. Uh, help me balance, help us balance this need we're bringing to our people with the fact that they've got other needs as well. Like we have missionaries who want support outside even of our own church's support. They'll, you know, they go to our lighthouses and also help support. And we, we back that. We're not afraid of that. Uh, there's other causes and agencies. and I mean, people are always getting the call and the letter about their money, right? right. You are, we are. Uh, we say a lot, give to and through your church. So how do you guys do this in your families? What, can I help our people balance prioritizing their giving to first family, God's church, as well as being generous in other areas? Give some, some insight there, can you? Brant, you want to start? Sure. So um, just as Todd's mentioned before, this is kind of the family conversation. So I think probably the best way to answer the question is just talk about uh, how our family handles that in and of itself. So uh, Renell, my wife and I, we, we get together and we look at our, our income. And for us, we use that 10% as a guideline rule of thumb. Uh, and that's, we believe in just kind of taking that first fruits, if you will. And we budget that to the local church. So that 10% is what we say is for first family. Now there's, as Todd mentioned, there's a lot of other organizations. Uh, we look at those. And so in addition to that, uh, we look and we help support, you know, pioneers. Uh, we look at and help what I used to call Campus Crusade for Christ, and now it's crew. And so we set some dollars aside for that, too. Uh, United Way is another organization, and we get a lot of other requests. So, you know, American Cancer Society, Alzheimer's, you guys have a long list and you get all those. At times, we will help support that, too, uh, for us in the way we view things and just kind of handling those first fruits uh, we take that 10% and we dedicate it just for uh, the local church and first family. So you have kind of a prioritized approach and uh, giving to and through first and then you spread around after that. Yep. RJ, uh, what if someone says, um, well, I know the church needs this and they can't afford it, so I'm just going to use my giving money and buy it for the church. Or I'm going to support this mission trip and I'll use my normal giving to support that trip. After all, it's going to the church after all. Like, walk us through some of that reasoning and yeah. valid or not valid. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say that's, that's not valid. Um, it might show a little bit of a lack of trust uh, from your church leaders. Um, one of the things that, that we talk about, you know, when we say giving to the church. So when we give to the church, we're, we're giving to our general offering. And our general offering is what provides what you guys see. So even getting the lights on and having the ability to pay our employees and um, have ministry opportunities that we get to do. If you choose to do all of that stuff on your own, if you're gonna, if you're gonna replace what your offering is to the church and do that, choose to do it yourself, well, then what you're doing is you're taking that money away from First Family to give to somebody else. Um, and ultimately, that, that affects two people. That hurts the church, but does help someone, but it does hurt the church. Now, as collectively, what, you know, as a church body, we can give you know, more money to those organizations 
more money to those people, the partners that we have, if we do it together. So if I was to just say, I've got, I've got the causes that I want to do, I have partners I want to support, and I, I want to just do it individually, I'm probably going to be able to give you know, $10, $20 here or there to everybody, but I can't give them a, a large portion. And on, conversely, the, the partners, they're going to spend a lot of their time not being able to go to organizations like First Family Church and, and ask for support. They'd be going to individuals like myself or Brian or Todd and having to do a lot more work to get their funding. So we want to make sure that as a group, as a church, we're able to fund those people collectively. And just not those people, but even our ministries here, yeah. outreach here, as well as those folks. So yeah. that brings up a good point. When we look at our last collective thing that we did, the East Entrance, we had a very strong offering for that. Yeah. What, 140,000? 144, yeah. 144,000. Yep. Glad you got the right count. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. And yet we find that our weekly offering's been somewhat weak over the course of this year indicating we might be what we call special offering strong, weekly offering weak. Maybe the phrase, hear this well, special offering rich, maybe weekly offering poor. Mm-hmm. Um, why did we move forward with that project if we knew we were kind of falling behind on a week-to-week basis? What's going on? Give some reasoning there. Right. So a couple of years ago, we decided as a finance team and as elders that we weren't going to use our special offerings to support our budget. So what we did was we, we asked you guys, uh, for a certain amount, and we said if we got the amount, $100,000, that we would move forward with the project. Well, you guys generously gave, like we said, 144000 and so since we told you we were going to do it, we needed to move forward with it. So that's, that's kind of the simple answer. The hard answer is, even though we don't, we don't have the uh, ability now to use the, the special uh, projects, the vision offering money, into our budget, we had to make those cuts, like we t- just talked about, fourth quarter cuts, um, so we did have to, we had to lose some money there to be able to do the project. Um, but we're hoping that uh, as giving continues to pick up, like Todd said, these last couple of weeks, you know, we've, we've been able to meet budget and exceed budget as we we're hoping that we're able to catch up on some of that shortfall as we finish out the year. Now, does this, an, this affect the offering in November? Is our offering in November more slated towards catching us up then? Yeah, a portion of that will go to catching us up um, depending on how far we're behind at that point. So here's what the church should hear in that. Because sometimes brick and mortar is very motivating, isn't it? Oh, I see a project, I'm going to give to it. He's saying to you that as we come to November, it may be that we're just trying to maybe make up some ground. And now we won't, don't let that affect your generosity. Because it still is going to a number of ministries here and our outreach and different things like that. Uh, don't leave yet, guys. I hope you heard what they were saying about to and through the church. And this is a really valid point that I want you to kind of just kind of grapple with. We, as elders, as leaders, love your heart for generosity to a number of places. But because you give to and through the church, we're able to significantly affect many more organizations, partners, people, and causes than you could probably ever do alone. Now, there are probably a few people that could challenge that, admittedly. But the normal person is not able to make the impact with 40, with what is it, uh, over... uh, 3,500 international missionaries, plus our own partners in key places around the globe, plus our ministries here, plus local places like Teen Challenge, uh, Wildwood Hills Ranch, Alpha Women's Center. You can go down the list of the things that we indirectly and directly support, and you're going to find, man, I'm part of supporting those? Yes, you are, as you give to and through the church. So even in this text I showed you, 1 Corinthians, there's a collective nature that, that the apostle is asking for. You churches in Galatia and you churches here, continue to, to set aside money and then pool it together. 
We use the word cooperation a lot. So just realize that when you're giving primarily to your church, you're actually giving to a number of places that you probably weren't even aware. And those, that's a good thing. So the power of cooperation is significant. Um, any last-minute comments, RJ? No, I'm good. Grant, anything else? I'm good. Help me thank these guys, would you, for their transparency and vulnerability? Yeah. And when you hear them give some raw data, you, you, you need to be thinking this. Okay, so the call is for sacrificial giving. And that's in contrast to two other types of giving. And then we're going to wrap this up and, and we'll sing our final song. And that is what we call sensible giving. Sensible giving is the kind of giving that says, I'll take what I have left and figure out what part of it God gets. We, we ask God to live by our math as opposed to us living by God's math. So I want to I caution you against thinking that, well, it's got to all add up to me. Um, sacrificial giving actually will hurt. This is one of the things that Julie and I use in our own filtering. We'll ask, is it obvious that we're giving enough? And if it's not, then the answer is no, we're probably not. We feel like there should be some element of like, man, we feel that this month. We think that's healthy for our family. Doesn't mean we don't save. Doesn't mean there's not stewardship or planning. But we think there's a, there's a healthiness to like, wow, we're, yeah, we, we want to kind of sense the sacrifice involved in this. So don't just think that it's sensible giving that God's after only. He's after proper stewardship, yes. But God's math is really different than yours. Um, and then don't, Think in terms of selfish giving. I'm not even sure if those words go together, by the way, okay? Can you really have selfish and giving together? I don't think so. But those kind of givers are those that give when there's something in it for them. Let me give you the most basic one. And, and I use this, you use this, it's not a sin. But if it went away, what would your first reaction be is the question. And that is the tax break that you get from the government for giving to charitable causes. That's a good win for us right now. But what if it did go away? Would your heart be like, well, that's the last dime I'm giving? That would be a window to your soul. Do you see how it works now? Do you see how issues of obedience really give us insight into our soul? And if it would just take the government to remove a tax credit for you to say, I'm done being generous, the problem is not with the government, the problem is with your soul. So we want to urge you and prompt you towards sacrificial giving rooted in the character of God and the example of Christ. And you may be thinking, I can't afford to give, Todd, after hearing this today, seeing this, these simple scriptures, knowing why you're doing this, hearing this raw data, I, I just know I can't afford to give. I'll be broke. My needs would go unmet. Well, under your worried feet, can I place two verses, two promises? Two promises. Here's the first one, Philippians 4.19, which is the math that God uses. Look at this math. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to, what's the next two words? Yeah, so your math's based on your budget. Nothing wrong with that in one sense. You're right. We're, we're, we're to be proper stewards. I get all that. But you know what God meets needs based on? Not your bottom line. His. His riches. In glory in Christ Jesus. And this text is rooted in a whole context of contentment. And what I found is that when I think, well, God won't meet my needs. 
Often that's just code for God's not giving me what I want, <laughs> to be frank with you. And then the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, Todd, you don't need that, you don't need that. So just relax. God's going to meet every one of your needs, and he's not going to do it based on your bottom line. He's going to do it based on Christ's riches. And so I have to be willing to be content with what I have, be generous with what I have, and then know, you know what? God's going to meet my needs. So put that promise under one of your feet. Under the other worried feet, put Luke, put Luke 6.38, which says, as we give, then it will be given to us. And here's how it will be given to us. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together. You've done this, you know, when you're either putting trash into a bag or you're collecting leaves in your yard. You kind of shake the bag, don't you? You get something, stamp it down. You make sure you get as much as possible in there, right? God will take care of our needs in that fashion. He won't be skimpy with you. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is a biblical promise. Prosperity gospel airs in that they say to us, here's how God will meet our needs. I'm not going there today. I don't know how God will meet your needs. I can simply say to you, God will meet your needs. And often we get a little scared of making that promise in church because of the prosperity gospel and the heretical nature of it. We're afraid to actually land on God's promises. But Aaron was right. Our approach is not to trust in man. It's to trust in God who has promised he will build his church. He'll meet our needs. Let's land there, seek his face, and trust him. That's what we want to do. So I don't want to back away from this. And you can email me. We can debate it. Maybe not today. We can talk about this. I don't know how God meets all of his needs. I don't know why someone prays for their wife to live and she dies. Kids get hung, are hungry, they don't get food and they die. Those things happen. But they, they do not negate what God has promised. How God's going about meeting needs is something that's beyond my understanding. He's sovereign in control. He'll do it as he pleases. It's his privilege. He's God, right? But we must not back up from landing our worried feet on two solid promises. As we give, God will take care of us. And as we're content... God will take care of us. Those two promises. So church, let's open up our hands. Let's open up our hearts. Let's ask ourselves, are we obeying what God says to his church about sacrificial giving? That on the first day of the week, we set aside a portion and we bring it. We use that collectively and cooperatively so we don't have a mad dash trying to meet a need at the end. Is that how we're operating? Is that how you're operating? That's the call to sacrificial giving. All of that is rooted in the gospel of our Lord. Christ was generous with you. God was gracious to you. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So as you look at this idea of generosity, as you think about giving in your life, and the window we're looking through and what it says about your soul, don't make your decisions based on what this pastor is saying or thinking or this el these elders, like, well, we got to make them happy. Man, that just doesn't work. Ask yourself, what in the character of God is now motivating me to be generous and sacrificial? And you'll find much motivation there.
God was generous to us. Christ was generous to us. So let us live with generosity in return, especially to his body, based on 1 Corinthians 16. Let us approach it that way.